Welcome to the After Business School Special. Join us in becoming a lifelong learner by enrolling in the After Business School Special. Hello, Chris, and thanks for being here today. I'm excited to talk about all things marketing, tech, startups, everything. Thanks for having me, Carly. <laughs> Um, so to begin, I just want to go over what a typical day looks like for you. So what kind of projects do you work on or what experiences do you kind of take on in the marketing and tech startup space? Sure. So my job working in marketing and tech is really all around kind of, you know, promoting and evangelizing products and making sure they are discoverable and making sure that we have a really resilient brand uh, and making sure that what marketing does feeds into the rest of the business. So if I was going to broadly categorize it, my day is typically spent working with the rest of the marketing team to kind of execute on marketing's vision and the company's vision and how marketing aligns with that vision to make sure that it's in lockstep. You know, as I said, building a really durable brand that has a lot of value. You know, one of my kind of favorite quotes, it's like Jeff Bezos quote. He says, like, brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Mm -hmm. And so trying to build a great customer experience so people, when you're not around, they have good things to say about you. And then finally, the last part is kind of finding innovative or new ways to grow a business. Mm -hmm which I imagine is a pretty relevant one when working in the tech space since things are always changing. That's right. So, yeah. So to take a, I want to talk about more about your current work and where you are today, but looking back to how you got to this experience in a leadership role in the tech marketing space. So you're well-versed and you've had a number of years working in scaling businesses on the marketing front. Can you talk about the experience scaling business and starting from those very early stages to growing them into really successful businesses? Yeah. So in the early stages of just broadly say a startup, Mm -hmm. if you are brought in as an early marketer or maybe the first marketer, the thing I've learned is your job is really to figure out how to maximize impact. So you have a scarcity of resources, Mm -hmm. you have a scarcity of time, you have a scarcity of money. And so what your goal is, is really to say, how can I make the biggest impact with the smallest amount of resources? Mm -hmm. And if you get yourself into that headspace, what you end up doing is saying, here is the long list of things we can do. But more importantly, here's the things we are not going to do because they either take too long, they're too expensive, Mm -hmm. you don't have the manpower. And so what you're trying to do is make the most success you can with the limited resources, but in tandem, also kind of lay the foundation for marketing in the future. So we're going to make some bets today that we think are going to be very successful, that we can scale up in the future as the business grows. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, you're trying to do that. You're trying to maximize that impact. But then on a personal level, what you're also trying to do is kind of grow ahead of the business. Mm -hmm. In tech companies and startups, the businesses and the market often moves incredibly quickly. And so the goal of any marketer is to make sure that you are growing ahead of where the business needs to be. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not, the business is going to grow past you. And then maybe it's not going to be the right role for you anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So lots of problem solving and thinking three steps ahead. So, yeah, it moves fast. So and mostly like just in general, like marketing moves so quick nowadays. Like it's I feel like the attention span of like a marketing campaign is like maybe two days. So. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Like, you know, it's silly to say this, but it's kind of worth 
repeating that like chat GPT only came into being like 16 months ago, mm-hmm. I believe. I could be wrong on that. But already things like AI, generative AI, chatbots, all of the associated tools with them, they've already completely shaken up mm-hmm. the marketing industry. And so if that has happened in a year, if you're trying to forecast ahead to five years from now, how is marketing going to be different? Well, it, it's hard to even imagine. Yeah. So staying on the forefront of all that innovation and change is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you always have to be planning for what you're doing right now plus the future, but the future is so undetermined. So yeah, yeah it's a lot to juggle there. Um, and you talked about working, like, especially in the startup phases, like you're working with very limited resources, mm-hmm. limited budget. How do you prioritize what you choose to do like with your marketing and like allocating budgets so they're the most effective with yeah. those like shoe spring budgets. Yeah, you're going to hear me probably say this a few times. I'm going to repeat myself, but so much of of modern marketing and especially digital marketing is predicting and forecasting. Mm-hmm. You with with limited budgets, you cannot uh, afford literally to be doing all the things you may imagine. And so you're always trying to forecast and predict what will be most successful mm-hmm. so you can focus on doing that. You know, it's the idea of making smart bets, Yeah. right? You're not going to take a one in a hundred chance. You're going to take a 50-50 chance. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to do as much as you can with the bets that you have the highest confidence in. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be prioritizing those things first. And only once you exhaust kind of all those options and have kind of like scaled them up or saturated your marketing with the things that, you know, you can do or within your control, only then should you be looking to say, well, we need to add skills, we need to add budget, we need Mm -hmm. to add people that can then unlock these next bets that will be very high priority with more people, more budgets, more Mm -hmm. time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like very much with those like small budgets and like shoestring not having a lot to work with like you have to be really creative with what you're doing marketing wise like it's not like you're working at a huge company with just money to spend that they got to spend it like you have to be really creative so how do you have any tips for being creative with your budget yeah you know this is really interesting because the smartest marketers i know are the ones that can do the most with the least mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones that can say, look, these constraints that we have on our marketing are actually like beneficial for creativity because they really focus to get innovative, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so this may sound silly, but as, as a marketing marketer, marketing leader, I spend like the majority of my time in spreadsheets. Oh, yeah. And like I'll talk to students, I'll talk to marketers that are just starting their career. And I say like. Would you believe me if I told you I spend 95% of my day in spreadsheets? And they're like, that's crazy. I'm like, okay, well, here's why. Because you're synthesizing data to try to uncover insights that can help you make those bets that I talked Mm -hmm. about, the smartest bets, the right bets, and then prioritizing your time and allocating resources to like kind of like say, those are the things we need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really gambling every single day. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I know. I remember hearing that when I was in my marketing classes that if you're going to be in marketing, you're spending most of your time in Excel. And I was like, oh, why would you be doing that? That's horrible. But like, it's <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah. And so, what, what you're trying to do as well, especially in early stage, 
or like I'm talking specifically here in tech and startups, mm -hmm. is you're often trying to test towards this concept called product market fit. And what that is, is this idea that your product is built in a way that really serves the needs of an identified market. And you know with a high degree of certainty that your offering and the messages, the marketing mm -hmm. of that offering really strongly resonates with your audience. And so they can adopt it in mass. And that product market fit is like not like it's just like a rubber stamp one day where it's like, we've got it. It's mm -hmm. constantly shifting yeah. as the market shifts. And so you're constantly making sure that you have product market fit and you're working with the rest of the organization to ensure that it's available and, and you're in lockstep. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing like that type of market research, like I'm sure you do your own for the products that you're working with. And then do you like keep up with just like reading business news all the time or how do you stay like in the know of what's happening? This is this is like one of my biggest hacks. Mm -hmm. And this may sound counterintuitive, but it's talking to your customers. Mm -hmm. I speak to a lot of marketers and I say, well, what do your customers think? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> it's shocking how few yeah. marketers will like go out and speak one-on-one -on -one directly to their customers, understand them like really deeply and intimately mm -hmm. and like understand what their challenges are, what their jobs to be done are, you know, what their aspirations and their goals are. And if you can do that, then you're going to be like really, really successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like going back to that very basic marketing yeah. of like creating a target audience and who's your audience persona and then yeah, like actually right. going and getting that data. So. Sure. So, you know, those are all great things, but and all of it just boils down at the end. Well, it's like, how do you do these things? Mm -hmm. Talk to your customers. You know, I any marketer that I know that is like very successful is somebody that is incredibly customer uh, focused, mm -hmm. customer obsessed yeah. even, and they're always talking to them and they live and breathe their customers' mm -hmm. worlds. Whether it, they're working in like ag or they're working in startups or they're working in like pharmaceuticals or CPG, mm -hmm. the best marketers are the ones that go and talk to their customers. Yeah. And then that's like something that you hear all the time, but I feel like it's harder for people to put into practice just because it's like can be scary to have those conversations. But it's like the strength in a good marketer is just like being able to pick up the phone or like go and start those conversations. So, yeah, yeah kick definitely... down someone's door <laughs> yeah. and get in there and yeah. and really see how you can help them win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then do you keep up with like or like what sources do you go for for like just industry news? Is sure. It just... So it, it, there's a couple different things there. There is marketing mm -hmm. kind of industry that's you know kind of general and then there is whatever product or vertical or space industry you operate in there's always the the watering holes there mm -hmm. and so it's making sure that you're like keeping informed of both mm -hmm. you know um you're finding like community and knowledge and wisdom with marketers and you're building your network and getting exposed to new ideas and new thoughts and new strategies but then you're also keeping up with the market you serve and finding out the things that are important to them because it's changing all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so kind of taking a step back, you into your entire endeavor within like the tech industry. So you started working with startups and scaling through growth marketing like pretty early on, even when you were a student at university. So you worked with 
uh, you had some of your first career opportunities with like Ideas Club or working yeah. with USAS Student Computer, going yeah. back into the vault for those yeah. jobs. Um, how did those like early experiences kind of shape your professional journey and lead you into those next sure. opportunities? I will talk about that, but it's worth like going back mm-hmm. a step here because both of those kind of things came out of just a real passion and curiosity for mm-hmm. like tech and digital. And that's something you can't fake mm-hmm. as like a student or as an, an early stage, you know, early career marketer. Like you can't fake that. Mm-hmm. Like I worked with ICT as my very first job out of Edwards here at the university because I was passionate about tech and Mm -hmm. computers. And so I stuck my hand up and I said, I'll be on the ICT Student Advisory Council. And then I poured myself into that because I loved it and I was really passionate about it. And when I was coming up to convocation, I said to the ICT director, I said, hey, do you need somebody like me? And he's like, huh, actually we (laughs) like do. And so like I did a big student computing survey Mm -hmm. and I sat in the tunnel and I handed out $2 Starbucks gift cards to anyone that would fill out a survey of mine. Oh, wow. And then we compiled all the details and gave ICT insights into student behavior mm-hmm. around pause. Nice. And then Ideas Club, which was like a business that me and two friends formed, mm-hmm. came out of a weekly like beers session we'd have. We'd yeah. go to like each other's houses once a week and we'd have beer and we'd just talk about tech, the things we were passionate mm-hmm. about. And it would snowball and snowball through these conversations. And we'd finally get to this point where it'd be like, we should start our own company. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like, let's do that. And so we did. And so we made apps on the Apple App Store when Mm -hmm. it first came out. And that was a really fun experience because we learned all about how to, like, make something ourselves and, like, learn some really hard lessons on, like, copyright and things you can (laughs) and can't do. And so, you know, we kind of, like, shuttered that after a couple of years. But... I did those things and I had those opportunities purely because I was passionate about that space. Mm -hmm. And again, like you can't fake that passion. Mm -hmm. If it's inauthentic, everyone sees that. And so my advice to students or folks who are earlier in their career is find what they are passionate about and like find ways to do that passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And um, always great to get a crash course in intellectual property by <laughs> yes, breaking by getting rules. cease and desist letters <laughs> yeah. from large companies. Do you have uh, any apps still on the App Store? No, that's all. <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> <They're>, no. <laughs> they've all become quite obsolete. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, back. So when was that? But like two thousand. This would have been so. I worked with ICT in two thousand seven. Okay, so like very. That's like yeah. a pretty pivotal time in just well social media in 2007 and just like tech so yeah like really on that cutting edge of it you know this is like a bit of an apocryphal story but Mm -hmm. i came to edwards because i wanted to do a major called mis management of information systems oh yeah i got to edwards in my very first semester of my very first year they canceled the major oh no (laughs) and so i was like Oh boy. Well, now what like, am I doing? Now what? And I knew I really wanted to get into tech. So what I did is I kind of said, okay, I'm going to stick this thing out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go into marketing. Um, but what I'm also going to do is I'm going to spend as much as like time as I can with the comp sci kids. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take comp sci classes. I'm going to like 
you know, get into that world. All of my friends were in engineering mm-hmm. and comp sci, so I would like hang out with them. I would go to their parties and stuff like that. Um, and I had a professor in my second year. We had to do a paper. I think I believe it was a marketing class on like some sort of, you know, marketing that you found really effective. And this was 2005. And I did it on Apple's uh, dancing silhouette ads. Oh, Do you yeah. remember those? those this is when the, the iPod yeah. came out and they were, it was for the Apple iTunes store. Because, oh, okay. you know, for the first time ever, yeah. you could buy songs and put them on your iPod. And I remember I wrote this paper about like why the iTunes store is great. And I turned this paper into him and I was really proud of it. And I got it back and I got a really low mark. Oh, no. And I was like, what? Why? This is like my best work. And I talked to the professor and he's like, ah, this digital thing is kind oh, of bad. No. And it was like, this was like my villain origin story <laughs> because like it like seared into my brain. I'm like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Oh, that's so great. And, and, you know, so. You have to just find that paper with the low mark written on it. I've tried. Oh, I've tried. But, you know, that that was like very instructive for me because I was like, well, if I can't get this you know, if I can't get the kind of education that I want, I'm going to have to go find it Mm -hmm. myself. And I'm going to have to dive in to the things that I'm passionate about and try Mm -hmm. to build a career around those things. Yeah. Yeah. So very much. Oh, that's just so funny to think that what the digital thing is just going to be a fad. That's what we kind of like laugh about right now with everyone being like, oh, AI, like that's just, it's not, it's not going to stay. It's like, well, that's what people said about the internet. So yeah, you know, it's, it's still very nascent. It's Mm -hmm. very early on, but I have this conversation often, as you can imagine. And people say, well, like, look at how Web3 and kind of crypto turned out. And I say to folks all the time, I say, I say, look, the difference between that bubble around crypto and like NFTs and blockchain and stuff like that is you'd hear a lot of these things, but then you'd be like, well, what is the utility for me? Yeah. You can buy some monkey JPEGs, mm-hmm. but like, that's about that it. Doing? Whereas the difference is like AI, if you want to like use this thing and it have a real impact on your life, you can do it right now. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the litmus test. Yeah. If you can actually use this thing and it have a tangible impact on your life, that's right. probably going to stick around. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Well, and this is just a little side note just about AI. Don't want to get too deep into that wormhole. Oh, I could. But yeah. Don't jump <laughs> could me. be here all day talking about that. But I'm in a course right now. Um, and for one of the assignments on the rubric, there's like a five points of like, did you use AI? Like, how did you utilize AI in this assignment? And I'm like, that's wild. Like, that's how you know mm-hmm. it's going to be sticking around. So we and talked a year about- ago? That would have it would never not have even like six months ago. You know, everyone's trying to crack down on not letting AI be part of the classroom, and now I see on my rubric using AI is like I'm going to get five easy marks for it. So, yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, don't want to get too much on that tangent though. But I also think it's just funny. Like, I'm pretty sure whatever that marketing class would have been by the time that I was taking it, I feel like that silhouette dancing apple ad is one that people would like reference or it would be like in the slide material of like a great marketing campaign so yeah it's it's interesting how these things change over time Mm -hmm. like when i was coming through edwards you know there was always like the the golden jobs the thing that Mm -hmm. everyone wanted right and when i was coming through everyone either wanted to be like a madison avenue like 
marketer. Yep. They wanted to work for a big CPG company like mm-hmm. Procter & Gamble. They wanted to work in the oil patch for an energy company. Yep. Or they wanted to work in the field of CSR, corporate social responsibility. Yeah. And like I talk to, you know, marketing and Edward students all the time. In fact, after this podcast, I'm going to talk to some. Yep. And you ask them like, what are the jobs that you guys want? right now what are the mm-hmm. hot jobs they're all in tech yeah right and so it's, it's really interesting to me how that that's evolved over time and it's gone from this weird thing that yeah, like, you know just kind of geeks did and kids yeah. in comp side to now like being like everyone yeah right how the tables have turned that all the <laughs> computer science kids are now the coolest people and everyone wants to be a computer science person everyone wants to know how to code so yeah yep. back in the day you're just making a a minor for yourself or a double major for yourself unofficially in the computer science realm but obviously you were as the marketing textbooks say an early adapter of all those (laughs) things the original early adapter. I like to think so I think a lot of it was like luck Mm -hmm. luck and timing yeah very good timing but yeah so right after university you started working right into tech and then stayed there up until your career now so Mm -hmm. you worked and we talked about scaling businesses, but you were working uh, with seven shifts and started right. with them very early right. with the scaling. So, yeah, talking about scaling that up and then, like you said, just shy of seven years with seven shifts. So help them grow just exponentially because they're so huge now. And like like we were just saying, one of like the most talked about companies, I'd say, in Saskatoon from conversations I have. So um, you went from just starting a small little marketing team or being maybe a one-man marketing team. Oh, it was team. me. It was just one me. Man I, was, uh, I was one man, one man then, wrecking crew. <laughs> yeah, to then growing to being a uh, director of demand. So mm-hmm. um, do you have any insights or tips for growing like a well-coordinated team sure. in the marketing space when you're growing that quick? Yeah, a, a lot of it kind of goes back to what I had mentioned before about making sure that you're making these really smart bets and mm-hmm. you have like really sustainable, scalable growth and you're not just adding headcount people for the sake of yeah. adding headcount people. You need to build like this extremely robust business case why the role that you want to add to the team is so important mm-hmm. that it would be silly not to yeah. add them. And so, as I mentioned before, you're in the early stages, you're kind of doing a lot by yourself you know, stretching yourself a bit, making these really smart bets, trying to get as much juice as you can out of the things you know or are able to learn and do. And then saying, if we add this role, it can unlock these new bets that have a high probability Mm -hmm. of success. And so let's hire this person. Let's add that role. And then we're going to do those next things and then once you get to that next point then you build the business case for the next one and the mm-hmm. next one and the next one and that's kind of how you grow sustainably yeah um you know this is a function of markets and like the availability of capital especially in tech mm-hmm. um you know we've had a few the past few years have been you know what i refer to as like zero interest phenomenon mm-hmm. when money uh is very cheap companies have a lot more of it and they can say we can afford to make bigger bets so we can hire more people but it's really interesting now that you know things have really come back down and now the availability of capital is less and so you need to make stronger cases Mm -hmm. for every team member 
And so how we built the team at Seven Shows was really just a matter of like systematically going, we're going to add this because it's going to provide the most value. Then we're going to add this. Then we're going to add this. And if those bets continue to pay off one act after another, and which they did at large part at Seven Shifts, you go from being, you know, myself as a solo marketer, a team of one, up to a team of, you know, when I left, of 25 people Mm -hmm. across multiple different teams with multiple layers of management. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely a gambling game, but it's kind of fun that way that it is like a game, like Mm -hmm. taking those bets. But you have to be able to prove it. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. And I see that all the time with marketers. They're not able to prove why they need a specific headcount. Mm-hmm. And so you need to build almost like an internal business case around like, let's say, look, there's 40 hours of work for somebody to do here. <laughs> like that's a very mm-hmm. easy reason to hire it. The very first designer I yeah. ever hired, we were like stealing design resources from our product team. And it would be like, look, we could move faster. We could get all these things done. We could enact all these bets we have. And we would unlock the designer that we've been stealing his time from. Mm-hmm. So then we hired our first yeah. designer. So, yeah, very calculated bets there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, especially in those, like, back in the earlier stages of the tech boom, like 2012-type era where tech was growing so fast and then everyone was just, like, hiring and it was, like, all that very, like, Silicon Valley-esque pushed careers. So, yeah. like, the workspace of, like, just hiring so much and having, like, the campuses in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. workspace. So like just hiring just for that like show. That's just right. Like to show that you're booming, but it's really yeah. is it just a facade? Yeah. It's kind of like uh there's this mentality of growth at all costs. Mm-hmm. And you need to grow, grow, grow no matter what. And so that often meant aggressively hiring mm-hmm. to just have the people to do a thing yeah. in order to kind of like brute force your way to yeah. success. Yeah. And like, look like, well, if you're growing and you have a team of 200 people, like, of course you're growing and you must be great business. So kind of putting up that front. So Mm -hmm. yeah, lots of, lots of uh, cases of that, I'm sure. But um, so as you grew your team, you also grew into more leadership roles. So how did you kind of take on those leadership roles? And do you have any tips for somebody who's moving up the career ladder in that Mm -hmm. way into more leadership roles? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, leadership is a really interesting thing because I've seen great leaders and I've seen not so great leaders. And the thing that kind of separates the exceptional ones from maybe the not so exceptional ones is a genuine desire to be a leader Mm -hmm. and focus all of their energy on that. Like so many folks are thrust into people leadership without actually wanting to be people leaders. And so I tell everyone a lot of the times, like you have to have a really tough look in the mirror and you want you have to say, do I want to be in people leadership or Mm -hmm. not? And there's no wrong answer. In fact, like some of the brightest people I've ever met are people that realize that, hey, I don't want to be a people leader. Mm -hmm. I want to be the very best whatever that I can be. And there's no expectation of taking on people leadership roles. You can have a very fulfilling, super rewarding, super high-flying career without ever being a people leader. But Mm -hmm. if you make that choice to become a people leader, it needs to be an all-in, you know, jumping in two feet first, 
type of decision and you have to really put a lot of effort into leading people and mm-hmm. making them successful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, you know, when people are um, very highly performing, a lot of times they're like, I just, you know, I want to be able to do everything myself because that's where I get the kudos by doing the yeah. things. And the the mental switch required is that when you're a people leader, when you're in leadership roles, you are successful when the people that report to you are kicking butt mm-hmm. and being super successful as yeah. well. So And so making that kind of mental transition is really important, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's something I talk to people about a lot um, because it is an intentional thing and something you have to be very diligent and, and disciplined mm-hmm. in undertaking. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's a really refreshing look at leadership because I think so often, mostly like when you're in school or like early in your career, it seems like the end goal is to end up in that leadership position. Mm-hmm. Like everyone wants to be the manager and the leader and all this stuff. But like leadership doesn't have to be for every th- everyone. And like that totally. doesn't need to be the end goal. I know I've talked to some people that have been in a like a leadership position or a manager position and have realized like that's not for them, that mm-hmm. they don't want that responsibility. And like that's totally fair. And yeah. kind of to your point about back when you were in school and you were really enthusiastic about tech, like if you're not enthusiastic about that leadership, it's going to show. So Yeah, and I, I would say as well, it's like there is the trappings or the the, the job title of being like a manager or mm-hmm. a director or a VP or C-suite or whatever, a leader, like a people leader. But you can be an informal leader. In yeah. fact, some of the best people I've ever worked with are not, they don't have a manager title. Mm-hmm. They are the mentor to everyone else yeah. and it's an informal thing and they get a lot of value in that because they still get to be the expert in their domain mm-hmm. and they can be a mentor to people but they can be a leader that way as mm-hmm. opposed to saying well I have a title yeah don't need that title and don't need to be out in front of everyone totally. and I think yeah like to your point of somebody who wants to be in a leadership position for all the kudos like but really it's the other way around that you're going to probably get less kudos because it is the team so yeah yeah, just like trying to understand that so there's um one of one of my favorite authors is an author named patrick lianconi okay and he wrote this great book called five dysfunctions of a team and he's Mm -hmm. wrote a bunch of other ones but five dysfunctions of the team is the one i return to all the time and he has this kind of line where he talks about like you know there's different philosophies around leadership and a lot of people aspire to like servant leadership, like you are serving the oh, team yeah. and you're serving the business. And he kind of says, that's silly because there's only servant leadership. If you're not, then it's not true leadership. Mm-hmm. And to be a servant leader is, you know, making sure that you are making everyone who reports to you and the business incredibly successful by the work you do mm-hmm. and everything else is kind of economics. Yeah. Oh, I like that gonna check that book out but yeah you i hear about that like in like leadership classes and it's like yeah there's so much more power to the person that's like behind the scenes yeah. guiding so yeah and yeah. As, as you progress in your career too especially in marketing i would say mm-hmm. you find that you rely on a lot of like very fundamental frameworks for how you approach problems like a lot of progressing in your career is like learning different frameworks and then figuring out how to apply them mm-hmm. so i apply the frameworks of the book five dysfunctions of a team all the time oh yeah oh I definitely got to check that out I 
feel like your thinking is very analytical, which maybe ties back to like your interest in computer science, like to apply frameworks to those situations. Is... I'm just really A-type. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, got to check that book out. But yeah, so now within your leadership now, taking on these positions, do you or have you at all developed a leadership philosophy or something that you live by within your leadership for leading high-performing marketing teams? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, what I kind of just referenced around servant leadership, like that is the the kind of the, the way to do it. But you're, you're serving to masters. You are serving your team mm-hmm. um, and you are making sure that they are successful. And when they are successful, it, it's an extension of you. So if they can grow their careers, if they can knock it out of the park in the work that they do, if you can provide them with um, a way forward that is like clear and actionable and like, you know, get roadblocks out of their way. That is one half of it. Mm-hmm. But the other half of it is making sure that you as a leader in marketing are aligned with the rest of the business. Like you can be this amazing marketing leader for your team. But if you're existing in a bubble outside the rest of the business, you're not going to be very successful. And so great my I, I don't think it's leadership philosophy but what i just try to like do all the time is make sure that the team is super successful mm-hmm. and they can do what they need to do but then the work that we are undertaking aligns with the rest of the business to be super impactful mm-hmm. because a lot of times as i said what happens is marketing comes up with all these plans and they go and do all these things but then they're just like random acts of marketing Mm -hmm. they're doing random things and the business is like well we're trying to do this over here and so great marketers are aligning the needs of the business to Mm -hmm. the marketing strategy that they're enacting Mm -hmm. yeah that's very successful marketing so just very good alignment yeah i like that a lot um so then kind of just discussing tech industry and marketing within it so i feel like a lot of like you said the academic classes that you take or took during your time at Edwards, you know, didn't fully grasp the changing industry of tech. So um, in your experience, how does marketing in a tech or software company compare to those like traditional industries that you would have learned about during your time in Mm -hmm. school? Yeah, I I would say that the difference is a couple things. So one is visibility. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are working in tech you are often much closer to the end user than you may be in a more traditional role. Mm -hmm. That has its advantages and it has its disadvantages. The big advantage is that, like as we talked about, about talking to your customers, Mm -hmm. you're very close to them. You can get feedback in real time. And that leads to kind of the second point, which is the speed. You can operate a lot quicker. Like if you are... You know, if you are a purely digital business, you could just kick a new message out the door and get feedback on it mm-hmm. near instantaneously. Yeah. Whereas if you're working in a more traditional organization, that might take a really long time to enact and then a really long time to gather data on. Um, and so if you have that visibility and that speed, you then have like a very close connection to the results. Mm-hmm. And so being able to get data and insights back really quickly uh, and be able to act on those and create a really good feedback loop oh, within yeah. marketing, and again, how it affects the rest of the company, yeah. <laughs> is uh, is is kind of the biggest difference that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And know? then, with like those two advantages of 
being close to the customer and the speed like is there any disadvantages or like negative aspects of those or that you've seen there is um and i think a lot of it comes down to the types of organizations Mm -hmm. so you know if you're working and you're working in digital and you're moving really fast you know there is like really high expectations Mm -hmm. but like the ability to like screw stuff up is greater Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so you know I think the thing that people don't realize a lot in marketing, especially in digital marketing, is let's say you have 10 ideas. Mm-hmm. Nine of them are going to fail. Yeah. Nine of them are going to fail and only one is going to work. And so your kind of like aptitude or like grit and resilience for like failure and learning from that failure mm-hmm. is like really important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like in marketing, you have to have pretty thick skin because yeah. you're going to nine times out of ten probably what you're going to do is going to be unsuccessful but it is like especially in the digital marketing space right. like really just trial and error so and have you on that note one of the things that i i often talk about with people mm-hmm. is I, this idea of having what's called a growth mindset oh yeah um there's this really great book called mindset mm-hmm. and the the most successful people that i have met in my career are people with a growth mindset specifically mm-hmm. in marketing they can, you know, run those 10 things. Nine of them can be not successful. But people with a growth mindset are going to be like, what can I learn mm-hmm. from those failures and learn from and incorporate into my practice so I'm more successful in the future? Mm-hmm. Which is opposed to folks that may have more of a fixed mindset, which is like, this didn't work. I'm never going to touch yeah. it again. So having a growth mindset having like a high degree of grit and resilience are incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, having that, the feedback of like, oh, this didn't work out. So what can we learn? How can we change it for it work? So mm-hmm. it works the next time. So yeah. yeah, that's definitely a skill to learn if you are in the marketing space because yeah, it can be tough. Mm-hmm. I've, I've launched a lot of things that have fallen flat oh. on their face over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's really easy in fact, it can feel sometimes cathartic to be mm-hmm. like, never going to do that. Yeah. But the, the the better thing to do uh, is to say, what can we learn from this to mm-hmm. take forward to make anything we do in the future better? Mm-hmm. And I that's like such a, a topic or like a point that comes up in so many conversations that I have is like those learnings that you get from when something fails is probably going to be a lot more valuable than when if you were to launch a marketing campaign and it just goes perfectly right like that's great but you're not learning anything from it so just taking those failures or like those moments of failure of mm-hmm. a campaign and learning from it is probably yeah. going to be so much more substantial than yeah. just a, any other learning so mm-hmm. yeah. and that applies to all marketing mm-hmm. any sort of marketing that you do either traditional digital whatever but going back to what we talked about about what is kind of different in digital is the availability and speed of that data and the ability to kind of feed that back into the business mm-hmm. to help you get better and to help you grow is is kind of like a core tenant. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have like an example off the top of your head of like when you would have launched, <laughs> putting you on the spot, <laughs> when you would have launched uh, some type of digital marketing campaign and it failed and then you like took that feedback and just put it right back into something else. Oh, yeah, I could, I could give you <laughs> hundreds of examples. But one of them that kind of springs to mind immediately is 
is years ago, um, we decided that one of the bets we wanted to make is in community. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to set up a community specifically for our users where they could interact with one another, we could interact with them, you know, we could put some like really soft marketing out there. Mm -hmm. And we thought, this is going to be great. Um, We launched it and it fell flat on its face, Mm -hmm. like no uptake, no involvement. We shuttered it really quickly. Mm -hmm. And what we learned from that is kind of like we didn't answer like the fundamental like question of what problem are we trying to solve. Oh, yeah. We were a solution in search of a problem. Our users didn't want a community because Mm -hmm. they had lots of other communities that they were already a part of that that were really important to them. And so the learning we took away is rather than trying to force this community onto them, let's go and find the communities they are already a part of Mm -hmm. and be an active participant in those. Oh, yeah, that's great. And that was much more successful. So it sounds, you know, it sounds really uh, simple Mm -hmm. on the face of it. But when you're in the weeds. Oh, yeah. It's very hard to see that. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like very simple, but in practice, it's much harder. And it is hard to like take that step back and see. Yeah, like forest and the trees. I love that. That's a really great example. But yeah, always remember not to be just a solution looking for a problem. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Yeah. all those things that you learn from those experiences. Um, So looking ahead, as you continue to work in the tech industry. So like, as we've mentioned, it's an ever evolving, rapid changing landscape. So how do you balance innovation um, when you're maintaining like that strong brand in your marketing efforts as you scale a company or work within an already established company? Mm -hmm. This is a tricky one and I do not profess to know Mm -hmm. the exact answer, but the thing that I have learned so far in my career that has worked the most is that you need to put a portion of your effort away for like moonshots okay for like very speculative experimental work Mm -hmm. that is not at all tied to your business or your marketing strategy it is purely moonshots Mm -hmm. it is things you are trying that you are experimenting on to learn from And maybe one of those things will hit Mm -hmm. and be incorporated into your wider marketing strategy. So maybe it's, you know, we're going to take a tiny portion of our resources and we're going to try advertising on TikTok, Mm -hmm. see what we learn. Or we're going to take a tiny portion of, you know, our our ad spend and we're going to try some new messaging. Mm -hmm. And by setting aside a dedicated experimental chunk of your resources or your budget, you're able to kind of continue innovating and experimenting without throwing out everything mm-hmm. that's already working that's fueling your engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Do you have any examples of that? Something that came out from one of those moonshots or like a really successful campaign from those? Yeah. So uh, an example from my time at Seven Shifts is that, you know, when you're when you're generating leads for a business, this idea of lead generation, you know, you're, you're often paying for those. Mm-hmm. And the goal of digital businesses is to often pay as little as possible and get as many leads as possible mm-hmm. for the business. And we had a hypothesis that we could offer a referral kind of bonus 
to our existing customers to get them to introduce us to their network and by mm-hmm. extension grow. And we ran the numbers on it again, spending all my time in spreadsheets, and we figured, oh, if we give them a small like monetary reward, they may be likely to do this. Mm-hmm. And so we launched it with zero expectations, like scrapped together a flow of making it possible, just manually tracked it in a bunch of spreadsheets. And it was a hit. It was really successful. And so, you know, by the time I left, it was a large portion of what's referred to as our funnel, Mm -hmm. our funnel of inbound business coming in. And it was cheap and it was scalable and Mm -hmm. it was really effective and it was very well received because existing customers got value. Yeah, exactly. New customers got a great recommendation, and we as a business benefited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And like the power of word of mouth marketing is so great. So mm-hmm. incentivizing those people that already speak highly of you to continue and recommend you is yeah, yeah just a perfect mix. So and it, it goes without saying that. You're only going to be able to pull this off mm-hmm. if you have a really strong brand. Yeah. No one's ever going to recommend a brand that they're like, eh. Yeah. You know, not, I'm, I'm not, don't take this as like hate, but like <laughs> if Air Canada came to me and mm-hmm. said, hey, Chris, like, would you want to refer Air Canada to your friends? I would be like, delete, You're you know, like, like never. Right. But there's services that I love mm-hmm. that I would be more than happy yeah. to introduce people to. Yeah. And we were talking about that just right before the podcast started about the strong brand that Seven Shifts has. So like having that brand to stand behind you when you're launching these like moonshot things, moonshot moments would be, yeah, there's a lot of power in that. So building that strong brand. Yeah. And so that's really interesting that you bring that up because, you know, one of the things I've learned in my career is this idea that brand creates demand. Mm -hmm. If you build a really strong brand then you pull demand in from the market. But it's a chicken or the egg type of mm-hmm. thing because you can't capture demand if it doesn't exist. And so you need to create some demand and you need to create a brand, but it takes a really long time to oh, create yeah. a brand. And so it's something you're constantly working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a big, big struggle. Not struggle, big but... Big thorny issue. Yeah. And there's no one right way yeah. to do it. Yeah, so just and I feel like that's everything with marketing is like there's never a moment when you're just sitting still like things are always changing and moving and you always have to be adapting and evolving at everything. So same with brand like you're always going to be just like little tweaks all the time. So mm-hmm. and yeah. you're you're trying to build the cumulative effect of positive brand interactions mm-hmm. that in aggregate builds a really defensible brand that people have positive associations with. Mm -hmm. And the hardest thing about that is you can spend years and years and years cultivating and building this brand, but you got one slip up and And all of it can go everything. Yep. Oh yeah. So yeah, uh, it's a big, it's a big undertaking for sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I really like that idea of moonshot moments and that's kind of like similar. I feel like the one example that you hear so often is that at like early stages google like employees were just like given time to work on anything and then that's how like gmail came about so it's kind of similar to that like just give people the space to try new things and maybe fail but maybe have something really successful to come out of it so Mm -hmm. yeah and at the very least you learn something exactly yeah so i know i read i think it was a linkedin post like quite a while ago where 
a company like once a week their team would have an hour of time where they would meet and then this is like so counterintuitive with all like the conversations about like not having meetings that are pointless and mm-hmm. trying to scale back meetings but they'd have a meeting where they would just meet and talk about like anything that could be a potential possibility so I think it was called like silly idea time mm-hmm. so they just come and sit down and like say anything and then like I I don't remember any of the examples that came out of it but there was like mm-hmm. a lot of really good benefits to like give people the space to really like just do anything so yeah and you know what that that speaks to something we talked a little bit before about mm-hmm. leadership is you know one of the ways to like build a great team and have like a great culture mm-hmm. is to have rituals yeah things that you do that people like love and they look forward to and so like even an idea like silly idea time Mm -hmm. it can be called anything it could it could be any sort of ritual but it's something that brings everyone together Mm -hmm. and you get value not only business value out of it but then like direct team value Mm -hmm. so like early on in my career the very first tech company i ever worked for was a company here in saskatoon it was called point two it was acquired by a big company from the United States called Yardi, which is still here in town. Okay. But a lot of the executives from Point Two left, and they started what is now Vendasta. Okay. Um, and my manager at the time, one of the best managers I've ever had, we had a re- weekly ritual where he would buy a case of beer on Friday afternoon. We would sit around in a circle in our little office, mm-hmm. and we would have a beer, and he would just effectively gossip about the business yeah. and he would keep us informed mm-hmm. and updated and we would get ahead of things and we'd talk about ideas and it was like the best ritual mm-hmm. yeah yeah I love that so much and the amount of great ideas that just come from sitting around gossiping in the office that's <laughs> I always say that I'm just the biggest supporter of gossip even though everyone's like that's such a negative thing gossip's bad I'm like but it's not when you're not talking about anything negative like if you're just like yeah, it's just like really good team bonding to sit around and totally. yeah, yeah just water cooler banter, talk, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Banter yeah. if you want it to banter, sound yeah. less <laughs> negative. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, that definitely like builds that buy-in with the team. And then if people are excited to come to work and they have those connections that are more than just like completing tasks and checking boxes, like there's so much power in that that you're going to be so much more invested in, into the work that you're doing and the, the team that you're building. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And all the good ideas that come from just sitting around drinking a beer. That's right. <laughs> so working in tech, it's obviously a booming industry and lots of new grads and professionals. Like you said, like the class that you're going to go talk to, I'm sure mm-hmm. most people are probably going to say that they want to work in tech after they finish their their degree. So for anyone interested in following like a similar career path to yours or working in tech, what advance or advice do you have in advancing your career or looking to break into the tech industry? So I'm going to go back to the start of our conversation mm-hmm. where, you know, kind of talked about a bit of my gra- background and having passion and curiosity mm-hmm. kind of trumps everything. If you want to get involved in a specific industry and you're legitimately passionate about it, then that is you are going to naturally find ways to kind of express that. So like you want to get into tech and you love tech, Mm -hmm. go to events, go Mm -hmm. to tech events, you know, start building a side project for fun and see what you learn about it. Mm -hmm. You know, find out what kind of groups or communities you can join. You know, we're we're really lucky here in Saskatoon that there's Opus here at the U of S Mm -hmm. and there's collabs in Innovation Place. 
this is these are great places mm-hmm. for smart people, and you can make some really great connections by being part of the community actively mm-hmm. and finding ways to kind of like express your passions. But outside of that, I would also say find community that you can learn from. The great thing specifically specifically about tech is that there's so many online communities you can yeah. be a part of. You know, there's Instagram accounts you mm-hmm. can follow. There's, you know, uh, online, you know, Discord communities. Yes. Um, there is, we are spoiled in that, in that industry for mm-hmm. different ways and places you can learn. And the other thing I would say, this is like maybe the biggest pro tip, is go and talk to people that are doing these jobs today. Mm-hmm. Me and my career, I have never once, truthfully, reached out to somebody that I really have a lot of respect for or I want to learn from and be like, can I just talk to you? No one's ever been like, go away. Yeah. Everyone is like, typically across any industry, especially in marketing, is like very generous with their time, mm-hmm. willing to help people out and like always open to offering an ear. Mm-hmm. So going and talking to people and maybe if you do that, you can find some mentors. Mm-hmm. Finding a mentor is incredibly important. It's something I tell everyone, like the mm-hmm. value of a mentor is, you know, is high. And so try to do that. Mm-hmm. And then also, if you can, get a career coach. Yeah. Get somebody that you can talk to about the forward-looking, um, you know, trajectory of your career and how you can create a roadmap to get mm-hmm. to where you want to go. Oh, yeah. That's all great advice. And I know going to events is, like, such a big one. And, yeah, we're so blessed in Saskatoon. Like, there's so many. There's yeah. If you wanted to go to an event, like, every single night, you probably could because there's yeah. so many options. and. Yeah, nobody's ever going to... If you go to those events and try to talk to somebody there, I don't think anyone is ever going to say no to sharing their story. People love to talk about their experiences, yeah. and it's such a great way to learn. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you a very small story from mm-hmm. the very start of my career. Like I said, like I realized I had to kind of build my own career when I was coming to the end of my time at mm-hmm. Edwards, and I knew I wanted to get into tech. But I was like, how the heck do I get into these tech companies? All of my friends in computer science were like, oh... We have these career fairs oh, yeah. where they put you all on a bus and they drive you to different tech companies and mm-hmm. like you learn about them. And I said, wow, I wish I could have something like that. And then I thought about it. I said to my friends, are they checking student cards when you get on the bus? And they're like, no. And so I was like, I'm crashing this. They're like, I'll be there. <laughs> and so I snuck onto the bus with them. Mm-hmm. And I went to all of these different tech companies around Saskatoon. And whenever we would get there, they'd be touring us around. And I'd say, uh, where are your marketing people? <laughs> and they'd be like, over there somewhere. And I literally ran off and just fired out resumes. Oh, to that's people. so great. And that's how I got my first job. Mm-hmm. They, they point to the company I was working. They called me up and they said, hey, uh, your resume was on our desk. Uh <laughs> Are you looking for a job? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes desperately. <I> am. <laughs> and they were like, uh, cool. Well, like, we maybe don't need you right now, but like, if you join the company and work in customer support, mm-hmm. like, when we do need somebody, you can just come and join us. And I was like, yes. Perfect. So, so, yeah. Always have to be networking and making those connections. And anyone looking to get into tech, those are some great advice. And then talking kind of career transitions. So, like, the idea of job searching, I know, was daunting and maybe have to go on a a company crawl to go and just hand out <laughs> resumes. Um, 
a very daunting and stressful thing and can kind of fill you with a lot of existential dread often, mm-hmm. but it's also very exciting. So looking at like going through career switches, do you have any tips of making the process at least a little bit less daunting? Yes. I would say the most important thing in this is where a career coach comes very, mm-hmm. very helpful, but is to really map out exactly what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And so my career coach sat me down years ago and said, okay, Chris, you're jumping off the walls here. (laughs) You need to come up with like a structured approach to evaluating different job opportunities because the last thing you want to do is take a job and realize you don't like it. Mm -hmm. And so we sat down and we hashed it out and we came up with four specific things that I was looking for in every opportunity. Mm -hmm. One was like, a culture that I identified with, Mm -hmm. a product or a solution that I really believed in, Mm -hmm. um, a leader I wanted to work for, and a job that excited me, like a job description that excited Mm -hmm. me. So anytime I would look at opportunities, I would run them all through this filter. Mm -hmm. Does it check all four of these boxes? And if it did, it means it's probably a fit for me mm-hmm. and for the company and yeah. I'll pursue it. But maybe it doesn't check all four. So how many are you willing yeah. to leave checked off? And so for me, I realized I need to have three of those four. Okay. If yeah. I don't, I'm not going to pursue it. Mm-hmm. And so having that rigorous framework for mm-hmm. yourself when you're evaluating an opportunity is probably my best tip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And it's really good to sit down and like, have those specific things that you want and then also like trying to find a job in marketing can be like almost overwhelming because marketing is so broad and there's so many different things that you can do so it's hard to just like pinpoint Mm -hmm. a few things that you want to work on so that's really good to have that framework to go Mm -hmm. so you're not doing something that you don't like I, I would add to that as well is that to your point yes marketing has become incredibly broad mm-hmm incredibly detailed and there are so many different types of marketers and marketing roles out there. Mm -hmm. The advice that you often see is to try to become what is known as like a T-shaped marketer. So what that means is you can imagine a letter T Mm -hmm. and this is like you have a broad experience of marketing that's like the top of the Mm -hmm. T, like where you understand marketing generally a lot of a bunch across of many different disciplines, but you have a deep, and that's kind of the vertical Mm -hmm. of the T, a deep expertise in one area. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that, you know, you can always point to that is like, I'm the best at this. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Because I feel like, yeah, with marketing being so broad, it's, you can hear that lots of people, like their knowledge is like a mile wide, but an inch deep. So yeah, trying to find that one thing to focus on. And if you're a T, that's great. If you're an M, that's even better because you've got multiple different disciplines that you Mm -hmm. have a ton of experience in. Yeah, that's great. I like that. So when you're looking at those like areas that you want to focus on, like how do you focus or like determine those skills for professional development? And then like, how do you go about growing those skills? Mm -hmm. As we've talked about a number of times now, it's it kind of comes back to like passion. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're passionate about events. Yeah. And that's the thing that fills you with like the most joy than becoming the expert in events and like finding the ways and the people and the communities and the the learning 
to kind of become an expert in those mm-hmm. is is really important. Um, and then being able to like parlay that into looking for opportunities that makes use of those skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, lots of skills to uh, focus on and lots of opportunities out there for anyone looking to get into tech. So you've had like a very great career within the tech industry. So looking at it so far, what is your proudest moment? Or Oh, boy. I, this is my favorite question to ask, but it yeah. is like a tough one. <laughs> so if it's not yeah. a specific moment, a general moment. I would say the times that I have felt the most career satisfaction are the times when I've been able to like build out and truly know that a team is really high performing Mm -hmm. when everyone has super high trust with one another with when everyone has like open healthy conflict Mm -hmm. when everyone is driven you know zealously towards a goal Mm -hmm. and they're learning and they're taking all those learnings and they're going off to their next roles mm-hmm. and they're they're crushing it. Yeah. That's when I get the most satisfaction. It's like building and managing high performance teams. Mm-hmm. And then if somebody from one of those teams goes off and is able to take their time working as part of a team and parlay it into an even better job or part of their career stepping stone, mm-hmm. that just makes my heart swell. Oh yeah. That's another common thing that I've heard about people in those like leadership positions is if they can have somebody and train them to go on to do something even better or Mm -hmm. lead their own way so or more tactfully another (laughs) thing I would say is like when marketing is very aligned with the needs of the business yeah when everyone in a business understands the role that marketing plays how it fits into the wider business Mm -hmm. and it's like oh well like like marketing is like in lockstep with everything else. Mm-hmm. That's when those are the I sweet am, spots. I am grinning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. And like for building those high functioning performing teams, like that's such like the foundational piece of everything. And then mm-hmm. from that I can go on to make those really aligned business and marketing decisions. So yeah, that's great. And a perfect summary of really everything we've talked about in your career so far. So those are all my formal questions. I don't know if you have anything else you want to add or anything I miss. I'll turn the mic over to you. No, and thank you, Carly. <laughs> like, it was a lot of fun having this conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier, which is, like, for people who are either looking to make a career transition or grow the career, their career, the best way to do this is go to talk to go and talk to people, Mm -hmm. talk to people who are doing it, you know, reach out to somebody that you really respect on LinkedIn and Mm -hmm. be like, can I buy you a coffee? You know, uh, write an email to a company that you really love and be like, could I shadow somebody? Mm -hmm. You know, um, those are the ways that you can probably not only build your own network, but get the most value to help you kind of grow your career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such great advice. And I recommend everyone go do that. That's what your homework is for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a great talk and great to talk about marketing, where it's been, where it's going and everything within the tech space. So thank you so much. Thanks, Carly. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of our show. If you have a topic you want to hear discussed or someone you want to hear from, let us know. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate your feedback and support. See you next time on the After Business School Special.